Well, welcome, everybody. We are grateful that you are here with us online. Uh, this is a weird setup. I will freely admit that, but uh, we are grateful that technology allows us to be able to be together, to, to join our worship, and uh, to be able to express our devotion to God in this way. And uh, please continue to pray for our nation and for our world that this coronavirus will be defeated. We look like we're making some progress in terms of getting a vaccine. Pray for that to continue. Pray for that to pan out. And uh, continue to take care of each other. Uh, we appreciate the good work and the sacrifices that people in this congregation have done to take care of each other and to take care of their families and don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep it up, Wilshire. Um, about six years ago, a man by the name of Joe Gandara was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously and very, very late. He was awarded it for an event that took place in 1944. He and his squad were uh, part of the force that was advancing through France, and in Amfreville, France, he and his squad were pinned down by heavy enemy resistance, multiple machine guns, many, many soldiers, and they knew if they stayed pinned down long enough, the outcome was going to be just inevitable, but one hour went by without being able to break uh, through this line. Two hours went by. Three hours went by. Four. The situation was getting desperate at four hours. Without being ordered to do so, and with no support from any of his other soldiers, Joe Gandara began to advance towards the enemy. And according to the report uh, that his uh, fellow soldiers gave about this action, he was mortally wounded in what he did next, but he took out one, two, and then the third of the machine guns that were facing his squad, saving their lives at the cost of his own. I don't understand that kind of courage, but I want to talk about what motivates people to love and to do the right thing. That's what this morning is going to be about. It's going to be about this thing that we have inside of us that tells us to do what's right, even at great personal cost to ourselves. To do the right thing, even if it hurts. To do the right thing, even if it puts us in great Danger. You guys know the call of righteousness that I'm talking about this morning. You experience it every day. Just imagine that you are walking down the street and you see a mother and baby in a third story window. The building is billowing smoke. It's clearly on fire. There are no rescuers anywhere near. The call of righteousness in your head tells you to do something that seems absolutely crazy in that moment. You get up there. You try to save them. You argue with that voice. You say, no, I'm going to die if I go up there. I'm going to get killed if I... I'm going to burn too. There's it, no sense three of us perishing. Why? But the call of righteousness in your head 
doesn't take no for an answer. And whether you're courageous or a coward in that moment, that voice continues to tell you what you should have done. Why does it work like that? It feels like there is a voice literally in my head that's not me. I know it's not me because I don't want to run up there. And oftentimes I know what the right thing is. The voice is telling me what the right thing is to do. And I don't want to do it. I argue with the voice. And I know this is not just some kind of instinct because the voice is smarter than me. Every argument I give about why I shouldn't do the right thing, the voice has pretty good counter arguments and says, really, are you just fooling yourself? Are you just making excuses? Get in there and do what you know you should do. It feels like all my life, for as far back pretty much as I can remember, there has been this presence in my life encouraging me to do the right thing. And, and who I'm hurting when I don't do the right thing. Disappointed in me. Now, what Christians have said and what Jews have said and what the Bible has told us all along is that the way that feels is actual, actually the way reality is. That in fact, God has placed in you a sense of what is right. It's a little voice of God in you, a little piece of God's presence in you. And every time you experience that call to righteousness, you're experiencing the influence of God in your life. That's what Christians have always said about that. Romans 2, if you want to turn in your Bibles, Romans 2 verses 13 through 15. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Paul says, you've got it in your heart. And you don't have to know the Bible to know what the right thing is a lot of the time. It's not that we can't get confused. It's not that we can't be in ambiguous situations. But the dominant experience that you and I have of the call to righteousness is this one. That here's the right thing to do. I'm being called to do it. And the drama for this day is whether I will do it or whether I will turn away from it. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about it like this. Psalms 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And as a result, they are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Proverbs 9.10 has the answering passage. The fear of the Lord, respect for the Lord, recognition of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One of understanding. The Bible says it feels like someone has been communicating to you your whole life to tell you to do the right thing because that's what's happening. 
God is, in fact, speaking to us in our moral conscience. And every day, you experience God as you experience that call to righteousness. Now, there are lots of people who have that experience who don't like that conclusion. We sometimes are among them ourselves. And and in fact, individuals and whole cultures have found ways to say, yeah, I know it feels like this is the voice of God telling me what to do, but I would prefer almost any other explanation than that one. And so we have whole cultures and whole societies built on trying to come up with other ways to deal with this problem. All the way back in the ancient world, we find it in Hindu philosophy, we find it in ancient Greek philosophy, there were people who said, your morality is just a result of how you were raised, what culture you're from. Plato argues with the sophists in the Republic and several of the other dialogues, or has Socrates arguing with them, over this very topic. And to this day, there are people who say the same thing. Morality is just about how you were raised. It's just relative to your culture or to your family or to your faith. The trouble is with relativism, it's never really satisfied anybody's heart when they feel this call to righteousness. They don't really feel that this answer of relativism puts that to rest. Partly because you can't live with it. Let someone who's in some philosophical context or uh, theoretical context talking about ethical relativism, let them be robbed. Let them be wrong. Let them be even given a minor inconvenience while driving. (laughs) And suddenly all of that moral righteousness and absolutism comes boiling back up. It's wrong what happened. It's wrong. Not relatively wrong. Not a result of how I was raised. It's just wrong that that guy cut me off in traffic. Another way in which sometimes people have tried to avoid this seemingly obvious conclusion that someone is in fact talking to me in my morality is reductionism. I call this nothing buttery. It sounds tasty, but believe me, it's not. This is where your moral feelings, your call to righteousness is nothing but some other thing. Karl Marx and the communists of two centuries ago were famous for saying, well, your moral sensitivities, all of that depends on, it's nothing but where you are in the economic structure of society. If we make you a little poorer, your morals will be like this. If we make you richer, your morals will change to be like this. It's just a byproduct of where you stand in the economic structure of society. It's nothing but that. Or, you know, for a while when Freudianism had a lot of power, the Freudians would say things like, well, your moral, these moral tensions you're feeling are really a result of, they're nothing but a result of some unresolved psychological issues that you're struggling with. We can give you therapy for that. We can help you get over these feelings that you have. Or if you go to someone like In the 19th century, Nietzsche, or in the 20th century, the postmodernist, you get this kind of story. Your moral inclinations are really just a trick that's been played on you 
by people who want to manipulate you. They want to control you. They, they desire to have power over you. And if you just break free, then you can remake your world the way that you would prefer for it to be. It's nothing but the result of manipulations and power plays. Or today, probably the most common way to dismiss this call to righteousness in our hearts is to say, it's just a byproduct of human evolution. This one is devastating because it is so popular. In the evolutionary view, the pure evolutionary view, you are essentially just a robot made out of meat and muscle and bone. And you're running a program that you don't have a lot to do with. And as a byproduct of the program that you're running, sometimes you feel things. Sometimes you feel happy. Sometimes you feel sad. Sometimes you feel guilty for stuff your meat robot did. Sometimes you feel proud of stuff your meat robot did. But you, in this view, are not in the driver's seat. And those feelings of what's right and what's wrong, those struggles of conscience that you are, I ought to do this, I ought to do that, that's... None of that's going to make any difference. It's nothing but some random firing of your synapses as the real work gets done at the level of your machinery. That's a very bleak view. It's another one of our nothing but views. But that also has never really satisfied people when they realize they have this voice in their heads calling them to do the right thing, then this has never been a satisfying, a fully satisfying escape route. And as a matter of fact, if you listen long enough to any of these that I just mentioned and anyone else that's like this, the nothing buttery group, you will find them almost inevitably making an exception for their own moral sense. It happens over and over again. Marx and Engels uh, go on ad nauseum about how morality is a byproduct of economic class, but their own moral outrage at the abuses of capitalism, that's pure, that's real. <laughs> it's unquestioned. Same thing with Freud, same thing with Nietzsche and the postmodernists. And even the same thing with the modern evolutionists. They will, with one side of the mouth, sometimes say, well, morality is just kind of a trick that's been played on you by evolution to get you to cooperate with the other meat robots that share your DNA. They'll say that out of one side of their mouth, but out of the other side, they will be morally outraged, true moral outrage, at, at people who are cheating in science, telling lies, fudging the evidence are people who are downgrading evolution and perhaps casting doubts on it for various reasons. True moral outrage. It's wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. That moral outrage is not put in the same category as just a byproduct of running a program in a meat robot. And so what I'm telling you is... When you do the, there's a lot more to be said, but when you do the hard thinking that's required again and again and again, what you're being confronted with as far back as you can remember is what seems to all appearances to be a voice from someone calling you to be a better person, calling you to do the right thing in your life 
calling you away from things that are hurting you and hurting the people around you, calling you into a path of righteousness and hurt when you don't, hurt for you and, and, and disappointed because you have the potential to be better. Christianity says it feels that way because it is that way. Your moral sense, your call to righteousness that you feel in your heart is in fact the voice of the Almighty God. And day in and day out, you've been experiencing that your whole life. Everyone on the planet, if Paul's right in Romans 2, everyone on the planet, every human being has that much of God in contact with them all their lives. You can run away from it. You can call it something else. You can deny it. You can reduce it. You can relativize it. But it's been there the whole time. God's call asking you to be a righteous person, to be a better person. And so... All of that was kind of the introduction. Here's the sermon. Use this voice of God to experience God every day. It's there. Don't let the propaganda of the world take away this chance to be in contact with the God who made you. Don't let the voices of our culture, don't let the voices... Uh, counter to what you've been taught, tell you anything different than what you yourselves experience, that this is in fact a voice coming to me from my maker, telling me what kind of person I should be. So, if you want to get closer to a person, how do you do that? Well, I would suggest one thing you might want to do to get closer to a person, is when they talk to you, listen. If you want to make sure the distance between you and another person grows, whenever they talk, immediately get on your phone and start texting someone else. Or let your eyes wander off and count the lights in the ceiling or, or do something else. If you don't listen to a person, eventually that relationship is going to wither and die. So if you want to get closer to a person, Turn your attention to them and listen to them when they talk to you. So if I'm right at all in this sermon, every day of your life, God has been talking to you through your moral conscience, through your call to righteousness in your own heart. If you want to experience God more in your life, turn and listen to him. Hear what he is telling you. There is an enormous peace that comes, especially if I've been a rebel and I've, there's a part of my life where I'm wanting to go my own way and not be righteous. There's an enormous peace and relief that comes when I finally give in to God and say, you know what? You're right. I've been wrong. I do want to do what you're calling me to. Psalms 32, 1 through 5, one of my favorite passages, one of the great Repentant Psalms, Psalms 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, that is, I wouldn't confess what I was doing wrong. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me the guilt of my sin. God offers grace. He offers forgiveness. And he's reaching out to us in this call to righteousness. Be who I made you to be. Turn and come back to me. Be healed. Do the right thing. Even when it feels like changing your behavior in a particular area is going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. It's the path of life. If God is calling you to it, then God will see you through it. Please, please, please recognize that this is a way to experience God in your life every day. Even religious people, even people who know what the Bible says about this, even people who know what Christianity teaches about this have a hard time always going towards that voice that's calling us to righteousness. I prefer to preach about righteousness. I will just tell you right now. I like standing up in the pulpit and telling other people how to be righteous and recommending it. And I try to do the things I preach about, but it is way easier to preach about them. I will just tell you. And most of us kind of would prefer that. If I can make a nice righteous sounding Facebook post or social media post, recommending righteousness to other people. That feels sort of like I'm being righteous. But it's not the same as being actually righteous. And if you want to experience God every day, then every day you yourself take a step to turn towards his voice, to turn towards the righteousness to which he is calling you. Another trick that I play and many of us have fallen into, Jesus warns about this. He says, don't judge. You judge, it's like a person who says, let me get that speck out of your eye while you've got a big log sticking out of yours. But judgment sort of feels righteous. I mean, I feel like I'm exercising my righteousness muscles, that voice that's been telling me what's right my whole life. I feel like I'm sort of in that ballpark if I can point out what's wrong with you. If I can, if I can explain in great detail all the things that you've done wrong, if I can explain with exquisite precision uh, exactly how you could correct your life. That sort of feels righteous. The, the trouble with that is it's a, it's, it's a taste of the righteousness of God, but it's only a taste. It leaves me starving. Because the only thing that's going to satisfy me is to turn and listen to God myself. That's why Jesus says, first, you should work on that log that's sticking out of your eye then you probably might be in a position to help some other people. But first, let's yourself turn to God. What's God wanting you to change in your life? Let's work on that today. And if I want to experience God every day, which I do, 
then every day I want to turn towards that voice of God and say, today, God, what is it that you would like me to do better? How would you like to make me more like you today? God wants us to be righteous people. That Leviticus passage that Jeremy read for us at the beginning of the worship service, it's just so great. It goes through, it's so practical. It says, don't cheat when you're making weights. You know, if you're a greengrocer, don't cheat. And if you're a judge, you can't have preferential treatment for the poor. You can't have preferential treatment for the rich. Just apply the stinking law and render justice. It says, when you are mowing your fields, think about the people who don't have fields and they're hungry. And it's not a bad thing if you leave some corners at the edges of your fields unmown. They can come and get the grain. They can come and get the grapes. And, and they'll be hungry one less day. And that'll be because of you. It ends with that great passage. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I'm going to wrap everything up as what God's been calling you to your whole life. That's a pretty good place to start. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What is it that you want? What is it that you need? What is it that you wish people would help you with? God is going to start calling you to do those things for others. Even if nobody does them for you. Even if nobody else in the entire world does the right thing, God's voice will still be there for you to say, you do it. Even if you're the only one, you do it. And that's what it means to have God in your life every day. Now let's get down to the bottom level on this. Many of us try to answer God's call. We hear his voice and whatever we call it, even if we're not Christians, we try to answer that call and to do the right thing and to be righteous people. Our problem is that we fail over and over and over again. I see it right there in front of me. There it is, what I should be doing. And instead, I choose the easy way the lazy way, the weak way. Instead of doing what's right, I do something that misses the mark entirely. And so after a while, that voice sounds like judgment. I don't want to listen to it anymore. If I resist it long enough, I will do things to actively try to shut it down so I don't hear it. What's the answer? I've never in my life been able to live perfectly according to this call of God. What's the answer? Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He says, you know, I know what God wants. I see the law right there. There's a part of me that wants to do it, but another part of me is in there dragging me away, making me do the very thing I know I shouldn't do the very thing I hate. And he ends with this cry of anguish, wretched human being that I am. Who will rescue me from this 
body of mortality, this body of death? And the answer is the next line. Who will rescue us? Who will rescue us? Praise be, Paul says, to Jesus Christ our Lord. For your entire life, God has been calling you through your sense of what's right and wrong. There's no reason to deny that that's what it is. That's what it feels like. God has been calling you to do the right thing, to be a better person, to become who you could be. If you want God in your life every day, then every day turn and listen to his voice and begin to walk in his path. And yes, you'll experience what we all experience as we do that failure. You'll fall. You'll be down. You'll be defeated sometimes. And then the answer comes the good news of Jesus Christ that even when you fall, God is there too. With the blessed sacrifice of Jesus Christ to take you out of the muck of failure and to bring you back so that you stand by his blood in his righteousness. Once again, able to listen to God's voice. Once again, able to welcome God into your life. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us orphans down here on earth, but you have been in our lives all our lives. God, today we're focusing on the way you've been in our lives through this voice of righteousness in our heads. And God, we just want to be more submissive to you. We want to be more submissive to that voice. We want to do the right thing. And God, we want your help to help us do that. We crave your Holy Spirit to be in us so that we can indeed walk in righteousness. And God, as we fall and as we fail, we beg for your grace and your forgiveness, which now is extended to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, to wash our sins away from us on a daily basis as we turn back to you and to cause us to stand up in the righteousness of Christ. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.